I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Never seen the sky so blue the KSL Greenhouse. Information and great talk about your home, garden, and your lawn. If you love perennials, can't get enough help on landscape design, or just want to keep your lawn and vegetable garden pest-free, grab a pen. It's the KSL Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. Phone lines are open. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Tom, this morning we're taking up uh, one of my favorite topics because when I put my house in, everything I planted was in the spring, and that means in the winter, my flower beds are pretty bare. And so yes. you have asked J.D. Gunnell to join us this morning and, and help us out with uh, some things that we can plant in the winter for interest. Yes, it's just one of those things, you know, where especially if you go outside of Utah in the winter to Florida, Southern California, and there's so much green, and then you come back and it's gray. <laughs> it's pretty like, bare. You want to beat Utah up and say, be warmer. Trees have lost their yes. leaves. and right. Yes. So, J.D., are you there? I am. Good morning, J.D., Good morning. So thanks for joining us this morning. So tell us, about what is your favorite? If you have something at the top of the list that people absolutely should have in their yards, what would it be? And well, I'm taking notes. Just Okay, the low-hanging fruit on this topic would have to be the conifers, the, the evergreens, the blue spruce, the Alaskan weeping cedars, uh, anything that retains its needles. Um. It gives you that that kind of hope for life. And I think that's actually why it's part evergreens are part of the Christmas season is that same idea. So yeah, I I uh I live in the tundra. I'm up here in Cache Valley and <laughs> the winter season can sometimes be feel like half the year. But if I have things that I can look out my window and see some of the 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 different forms of the conifers. I, I'm looking right now at my landscape. I have a an Alaskan weeping cedar. I have a gouty oriental spruce that are some of my favorite. 
I've got a Globosa spruce that it's a smaller six by six. And that's the other thing to consider is a lot of these conifers, if you get the named varieties or cultivars, then they usually typically will stay smaller for for yards. You don't want to have a big 100-foot evergreen next to your home or anything like that. But Just took one of those down. You don't want to do that. No, and I got an email this week of a homeowner that had a, a blue atlas cedar literally four feet from the corner of their house. Yeah. And it was starting to get about 30 feet. And they're like, what do I do? And I was like, you don't really want me to tell you. I know. It was it, it was pricey. Let's put it that way. You don't want to be climbing that tree yourself. Yeah. So keep in mind that winter is a season. Obviously, in, in Utah, it's a long season. So conifers add some color. Um, another thing that I've really gotten into in the last probably five or six years are ornamental grasses. And the ones I really like are the upright kind of columnar tighter forms. There's one called Northwind uh, Panicum. It's a switchgrass. They're tight. And a lot of grasses will flop if they get wet or snowed on. And so they kind of look unruly. But the tighter ones, even like Carl Forrester, I know those are like a dime a dozen anymore and in every commercial landscape. But ornamental grasses really have a a cool effect, especially the last few mornings we've been so cold that we get that early morning kind of frost Mm -hmm. on everything. And that's when I think the the landscape plants really look their best. So besides besides the grasses and conifers, what else do you have on your list that might brighten people's day? So trees that have um, unique bark. Like I have a, a paper bark maple in my yard that's one of my favorites. It has a kind of a cinnamon colored exfoliating bark. The Heritage River birch. Anything that has kind of a peely exfoliating bark are also a really nice effect. If you go online and do a search for winter interest in landscape plants, number one on everybody's list is the red twig dogwood because of that bright red color against the snow and against the evergreens. It looks really nice. I personally have a dogwood but i think they're they're a little bit overplanted sometimes i like the variegated forms so that in the summer i actually have a a nice foliar effect as well not just the red le- or red stems but the one that i'm keyed in on this winter that i've seen a lot um that i like are the hollies i don't know if it's me getting older and getting more sentimental with the holiday season but I told my wife, we're, we're going to get some hollies around the yard because they're just, I can't look at one with the red berries and the, the dark lustrous leaves without smiling. It's just, and this time of year, I need to smile a little bit more. Well, the hollies, the blue hollies, like sometimes they're misserved. <laughs> they're hardy, a lot hardier yeah. than some of the other broadleafed evergreens. Yeah, we've got a neighbor that's starting a reindeer farm, believe it or not, and they called in and they wanted to have the whole winter effect in their landscape. And so I did a a deep dive on hollies because the Japanese and the Chinese and even the English hollies are only hardy to about zone six, which is not hardy enough for Cache Valley. But like you mentioned, Tom, the Meserve, they're usually a hybrid between the Rogosa and and the Meserve, and they are way hardy. Um, the thing to keep in mind with hollies, though, is you need the male and the female to have the fruit 
Obviously, so, the female will bear the fruit, but they need pollinated by a male plant. They need a boyfriend. <laughs> yep. So I have to ask. And that's a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm good. Go. So any other small bushes that we can consider? Um, if there's not a lot of snow, like this fall, we've been, it's just kind of been a prolonged, long fall, and we haven't had a lot of snow. So the boxwoods and some of the other euonymus type evergreen shrubs have really shined. But as soon as any amount of snow comes, a lot of the shrubs just get buried. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in those protected areas, especially on the Wasatch Front, English laurels are, you know, can get a little taller. And depending on the variety, even the dwarf English get six or seven feet. That's one I've really liked for a taller shrub. Now, if you have deer problems, they're like deer candy. Yep. Stay away the other that. one is the the U, the Y E W, not the not the U U. But uh, I I I tend to be a little bit more careful. I'm up in a rural area, and I chase deer and elk out of my yard on a regular basis. And a couple of years ago, we had about seven or eight head of elk that died because they had eaten a bunch of yew plants because they were so hungry. Oh. So they're very toxic. I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend them in an area where you're going to have animals or young children that are tempted to eat the, the fruit, but they're another soft-needled evergreen that are really pretty. Plus they're shade tolerant. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a number of things out there. Um, do you have anything else on your list or... Um, yeah, actually, there's a, a pine called the lodgepole pine, and they have some cultivars available. I've got Chief Joseph, and it just looks like a regular conifer this time of year, but in the early spring, the new candling comes out bright, bright yellow, and so it's a nice contrast. The other one that I've seen lately that I really like this time of year is called uh, Chief Joseph, or did I say that? You said yeah. that. Okay. I have Taylor Sunburst. That's oh. the one that has the yellow needles in the spring. Sorry. I'm kind of going to read my own notes. No worries. So Chief, Chief Joseph, it actually is green all summer, and then as soon as winter hits, it goes yellow and stays yellow all winter. So it's kind of a really unique, bright yellow color in the landscape. All right. We like that. We need variety. J.D., thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, helping us add some winter variety to our yards. You're welcome. Thanks, J.D. Yep. Talk to you later. Bye-bye now. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. 
Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. I think a lot of people are Christmas shopping this morning. It's kind of yeah. quiet on the phone lines. If you have a pending question, hey, this is the time to call. The phone lines are open. 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Our next listener, Ton, says... Uh, they heard that a good shade tree for Utah is the claret ash or the raywood. Uh, they live in Sugar House, and they're wondering whether you would agree and uh, where they might locate one this spring. I'm going to have to put up a mild disagreement. Okay, because? Ash trees are highly susceptible to ash lilac borer, which will, when they're young, sometimes can kill the tree. But we're kind of under this pending doom of Asian ash borer that hasn't established in Utah, but it's probably a matter of time. And so USU and other, the Arborists foundations and things have been discouraging people from planting ash because they may be a short-term tree. The poor ash. Yes. So in, until we get, especially Asian ash borer, borer figured out, it is one that I probably would not put an ash tree in my yard. This Asian ash borer has killed ash trees in the Atlantic states up into Canada. Billions of dollars worth of ash have died. And it's established on the front range in Colorado. And there's been some infestations recently found up in Oregon, which they're doing everything they can to get rid of because Oregon supplies a lot of our nursery plants Mm -hmm. so they don't want it and so i would probably if you need trees of that size look at something like an english oak or a burr oak or even swamp white oak would be three that similar growth rate they will get acorns on them every few years but they would be around for grandchildren and great-grandchildren to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Some other ones they could look at are State Street Maple, what's called Sycamore Maple. It's not Sycamore, but it's Sycamore Maple. So there's a number of them out there, but unfortunately, I would personally stay away from ash. Well, yeah, and it's an investment when you buy trees. It is, and it's one of those things that you plant it for your enjoyment, but you know, for the next 50 years at least, if that tree stays healthy, people that occupy your home after you will also enjoy. And unfortunately, you might get that ash tree established. And if emerald ash borer shows up, it will cost thousands of dollars to take the trees down. Or you're going to be treating it every year with systemic, hoping to keep the borer out. So you say pending doom. There's um, until they figure out what's going on. It's going to get well. Yeah, it uh, probably there's been a number of trees that we've had introduced diseases and pests from Europe and Asia that have become almost extinct. And so ash is one in a line of lots of trees that we are seeing now. And so you can go back to American chestnut, American elm. Uh, yellow, another walnut relative called the butternut, 
the ash, um, a lot of her fir trees. And so we have seen over the last 150 years, just one tree after another getting introduced past that nearly decimates it. Literally, I mean, it's more than decimation because that's one in 10, but nearly extinct. And so it's ash tree's turn. And so that's why we're not recommending them. All right. Jerry is on the line in Provo. Good morning, Jerry. What is your question? Um, uh, Several patches of red hot pokers that are just kind of overgrowing of the area. And I wondered if I should just trim off the, the big long green leaves. You know, this March, if you wanted to give them a haircut, that would be fine. They will grow back. Um, Or should I thin them, dig up roots or whatever? If you dig them up, you will thin them, but you also may get a bunch of new starts from the remaining roots. Okay. And the other thing is they won't bloom that season, just so you know. No. But trimming off the leaves, just whacking them off with a hedge trimmer or something like that would be okay? That would be fine. I mean, we don't recommend doing it every year, but I have done it, and they, the Red Hot Pokers have recovered. Okay. Well, that's pretty much all I need to know. Thank all you. All right, Jerry, thanks so much for your call this morning. It's interesting. Mine just got totally out of control. So I had these huge bunches of them. They were pretty much taking over. Now, they take a long time to get to that, they do. To that space. So you do eventually have to separate those out. They do need to be separated, and the old-fashioned red-hot poker especially can get three feet wide at least. Oh, that's what these were doing for sure. So there are newer varieties of red-hot poker coming out that are supposed to say 18 inches or so. Oh, manageable. And then they have kind of different flower colors and things, and so I think that over the next few years we'll see a lot of red-hot pokers come out that are more dwarf and a little bit more friendly for smaller landscapes. Okay, but for those of us who still have those older ones, how what is the best way to, like, split those out? Well, it's, it's hard to do because you would need to get in there, and because they have a uh, crown in the middle, it's it's hard to really split them in half. But they sometimes will produce pup plants off to the side. And so when you go in and dig one out, you want to go six inches beyond where you, you know, the foliage if you can. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of look at those roots and divide the sections out yeah, as best you can. I don't can. know if I did a very good job. I do know that they didn't bloom this past year because yes, of what I did. If they survived, you did just fine. I did fine. Hopefully this year they will bloom. All right. We're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news number for you to call this morning 801-575-8255 you can text us 57500 it's the story of an american held in a dark venezuelan prison then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up they pointed their guns at me and this is the point where i thought i'm gonna die today i'm becky bruce i spent a year working on hope in darkness which now has more than two million downloads Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.